There you go. All right. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's Fireside Freedom. Our topic is talking about death. I know some people think I'm a little crazy because I actually get excited to talk about death and dying, which is why I'm super looking forward to this chat tonight. But uh, we're going to be talking about how to normalize death and talking about it positively because it's really become very taboo and nobody talks about it anymore because it's super uncomfortable and I don't understand why. So we're going to kind of dig into this a little bit tonight and see where we all uh, come up with. So I've got Miss Amy, Brian, and Tim joining me tonight. How are you guys doing? Excellent. Grand. All right. <laughs> so I'm going to start off with a quote. Now, yesterday was my uncle's funeral in Ireland. So I was up at five in the morning watching the live stream from the cathedral, which praise the Lord for modern technology that we can now participate in funerals halfway across the world without having to leave our beds. <laughs> but the priest had some, some really good, uh, some nice, nice words that he said towards the end. And something that really stuck with me was he said that death is a part of living. It opens a door that we go through to continue on in life. And that got me really thinking, and because because most people think when you die, that's the end of it. Bing, bang, boom, we're done. Like that person's gone. What are we gonna do? And you guys, th it's just the beginning, and that's what we're gonna talk about tonight. So my first question I got for my fellow uh, fire starters: Do you remember your first experience with death? Amy, why don't you go first? Uh, I remember the first funeral I went to. The first funeral I went to was my great grandma's. I think I was four or five years old. And all I remember from the funeral is taking a flower out of one of the arrangements that was there because I was told to take a flower out of it. And then I, it was very, very cold during the funeral and I held it close to me. And that's, that's what I remember about the funeral. Um, I remember my grandma passing away uh, when I was seven and um, we were expecting her to recover from something and my father uh, got into the car and uh, from visiting with her and told us she, instead of her coming home, she had died. And it, it was very sudden. It was very like, you know, oh my gosh, we thought she was coming home and she's not coming home. And so uh, I, I kind of learned that very early on that death is, you're there one minute and you're not. And that was, that was kind of how it was for me when I was very little. So yeah, yeah. I can go. Um, go ahead, Brian. Yeah. Um, so this kind of sets the kind of the tone for where I'm coming from um, on this subject. But uh, so I had a grandfather that died when I was young, like six or whatever. And my family kind of shielded us from it. It was kind of a, they told us what was going on. And is, I barely remember that. Um, but then I got a job at a furniture store when I was in high school. And oddly enough, uh, it might seem strange, but a lot of times furniture stores will own funeral homes also, the same company, same family, because they, um, the upholsters made the furniture and the caskets. So they, it was just a natural marriage of businesses. And so when I got a job delivering furniture for the furniture store, my neighbor owned it. Um, you also kind of did double duty in the funeral home. So setting up for funerals and breaking down and, and all that, but you were also kind of behind the scenes too. So 
my really first experience with death was walking into uh, to set up a funeral and my neighbor and uh, assistant funeral director were leaning on a casket, open casket, just leaning, talking normal, just everyday conversation. And I walked in and I'm like, is that a dead guy? And they're like, yeah, why? And I'm like, well, you're just like joking around in front of <laughs> They literally said, he really doesn't mind. And I'm like, oh, all right. So that kind of like eased me into that. And then kind of being like, I had been through the embalming room and stuff like that, because you had to go in and out different places and seeing, and it was all a very non-emotional beginning to learning about death and experience it and being around it, um, going to funerals for people that like you didn't know you had no connection to because like you kind of just helped at the funeral. Um, so it was just like really non-emotional. So that's where I've come from. And I just, I kind of remember the person and the death is just what it is because it happens to us all. We're, we're all going to do it. I mean, some of us more than once. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm coming from. And that was my real first experience and it, it lasted, you know, a couple of years. So it was pretty ingrained right there in the puberty stage. When you said Letty, uh, our first experience with death, I was like, I don't think I've had like a near death experience or anything yet. So, but <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, five and my, uh, my grampy died. He, we were just, I was his best buddy. Right. And it was unexpected because he was only like 63. And so, and my mom took it like super hard at the time, but that was, yeah, you don't remember much when you're five years old, right? You just remember, I remember pulling out, looking for some of his stuff, pulling out the drawer and finding his glass eye in a drawer one time and scared the shit out of me because I didn't know he had a glass eye. So yeah, that's about the only memories I have of that, but that's where it started anyway. Very cool. Yeah. My, my first experience that I remember I was, I was six and it's when my grandpa died. And it's funny because I saw him like the week before he died. And the last thing he did to me was he screamed at me to get the fuck out of his room. <laughs> so then you hear that grandpa's dead and he's your angel up in heaven. And I was like, what just happened? And then they also said, oh, we're cremating him. And I, I didn't understand what cremation was because six years old, I had been to funerals before then, but very faint memories. And they were all the open caskets and everything. So I, I was like, mom and dad, what, what do you mean? What, what is the cremation? They said, oh, well, they take the body and they burn it. And I started screaming and crying. And my younger brother was like, what, what, what are they doing to grandpa? And I'm like, grandpa's going to burn in hell. I didn't understand it. And then they had to, no, 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 he's, he's not going to hell. He's up in heaven, that type of thing. So it was, it was a bit traumatic, but then after explaining it, I got to say a couple of nice things about grandpa and what I was going to miss about him when he died. Yeah. I, it far as I was going to kick it. Go ahead, lady. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry about that. Little man walked in. Um, yeah. It's, it's one of those things that when you're little, you, especially with my little guy here, like, how do you explain death to a four, five, six-year-old? And with my uncle past, we've had a lot of deaths in the last couple months. So, so-and-so died. They're an angel up in heaven. And with Uncle Sil, he's now your new guardian angel and explaining it to him. So he woke up when I was crying at the end of the funeral as I watched my 
aunts and cousins locked the casket out. Or no, they had a coffin, not a casket. As they walked the coffin out and uh, he, he looks at me sleepily, Mama, why are you crying? And I was like, oh, he just said goodbye to Uncle Sylvester at his funeral. Oh, it's okay, Mama, he's in heaven and you still have me. I'm like, oh my God, kid, like you're killing me. But uh, yeah, well, I guess that leads me to my next question. What was your most recent death experience, guys? Let's start with Tim this time. Sure. So um, <laughs> it's hard to tell death stories and not be a little bit dark. So we'll try not to. But uh, like, I think it's kind of weird. I thought about this when she asked, but, you know, my gramps died when I was five and never really had to deal with it for about another 30 years, which is kind of weird as a an adult. Right. So then all of a sudden in like four years, we lost I lost a 15 year old cousin and then an aunt. And then another cousin. And so it was like, bam, bam, bam. And, you know, the aunt was kind of expected. But when you have one cousin who's my age and one who is half my age, that that one was the hardest by a mile. 15 years. Was he 15? I can't. He wasn't, he wasn't driving yet. He was either 14 or 15 at the time. And it was an absolute, uh, just complete accident. I remember the night. I'm, you just, it's one of those things that always sticks with you because it's it's like a an emotional shock to the system. And you just... You kind of deal with it you know we even when we got home uh, it was kind of actually this is uh, we talk about funerals and things being for the living right um so we're gravestones markers because it's a place of memorial for you right and when we were uh, when we went back to nova scotia at christmas time i was kind of cool i got to take my twin daughters around and we got to see grampy cook nanny cook uh, Grampy Como and cousin Keith. And I took them and I got to introduce them to them. They never met them before, but I got to introduce them to them. So that's, that's all we can do. Right. And yeah, so it, it, it was neat, but yeah, that was kind of the most recent one for me, for sure. Brian. Oh, never mind, Amy. <laughs> all right. right. Sorry. No, that's fine. Uh, the most recent death I think that I dealt with uh, was my grandpa. Uh, he passed away at home. My grandma um, didn't send him to hospice, didn't send him to a nursing home. She cared for him at home until he died. Um, so that was a couple of years ago. And before that, I had an aunt who passed away. Same situation, um, died at home. And they actually had the funeral at home. It was a very, it was a whole, it was a home-based thing. So that that has kind of been how it's happened here the last few times so uh yeah uh a couple months ago Corey's grandfather died uh 97 world war ii vet like seeing things uh like i can't believe the things he saw in his life and uh he i was fortunate enough to live like 30 minutes from him so uh we i should have gone and seen him more uh, we didn't uh, see him as much as we should have, but uh, when we did, it was fantastic conversation. Uh, he was an engineer, uh, like his brain worked the same way my brain works. So I would talk to him about stuff and he would understand it. He would ask questions and it was more of that intellectual conversation. And that was right till the time he died. Um, but he died on his own terms. He, he had a heart attack when he was like 45, like should have died, um, kind of made the best of his life beyond that and uh, made it to 97 and like uh, just said, I'm done. Like his wife had died a few years earlier. Um, he had been on his own. He had, he had like the June Cleaver wife that made him every meal. Um, when she died, 
he didn't know where the bowls were in the cupboards to make his cereal. He didn't know where the cereal was, where how to pour the milk because he would come out of the bedroom and it was on the table with his coffee cup. Like he had never used a microwave. So we're like teaching him how to live on his own. And he, he like wanted to. And, uh, but anyway, when he, he got sick and uh, he had like congestive heart failure and stuff. So we went in the hospital. Um, they kind of did some stuff with him. He was starting to get better. And he's like, went to a nursing home to get better. And then he started getting worse. And he's like, yeah, don't send me back to the hospital. I'm done. Like I'm good. And so he, Called all his kids. His four kids made it up and they were in the room with him. And he's like saying goodbye. And he lays down and goes to sleep. And he sleep for like two hours. And his stats are going. And he all of a sudden he wakes up and he sits up and he goes, Am I still here? And they're like, Yeah. And he goes, Damn it. And he lays back down. <laughs> and uh yeah, he got better for a few days and then passed away peacefully. And um, yeah, on his own terms, uh, said, Nope, I'm done. I'm good, made it, seen enough. And uh yeah, his his kids respected that, and uh, yeah, it was really nice. And the funeral was great. Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of f- friends and families. Like he always said that he had lived too long because he didn't have anybody to go to his funeral anymore because uh, all his friends had died. So, but yeah, there were plenty of people around. I love that. The I can I can see the <laughs> jumping up. Of, why am I still here? I thought I was going that. And that's going to be a story you're going to, you guys are going to be telling for a long time too, because it sticks out and it's not, it's not a typical death story that you hear nowadays because most people die in the hospital. Most people die where it's sterile and white and just, well, I know, I know for me, that's not the way I want to go. My husband and I always joke that we're either going to die in our sleep or we're going to go out in a blaze of glory. (laughs) I'd prefer to be super old and die in my sleep than the blades of glory when I'm younger, but you know, we'll, we'll deal with that when the time comes. But why do you guys think that, that death has just become so sterile and impersonal and just frankly taboo to, to even think about, let alone talk about. I don't, I don't really, I, I talk about it all the time. It's just, it is what it is. Um, I, I don't really subscribe to the whole religion thing or um, heaven or hell. Um, I just kind of live a a pretty moral life, a kind of code that I think is appropriate. Um, And uh, yeah, if there's something after I'm not, I'm not trying to guess what it is. I'm not trying to live to a code that I don't know for sure. Like I'm kind of a cut and dry binary uh, ones and zeros type of guy. So if I can't definitively know what's going to happen and have, I have to follow rules. Um, so I just got to live life. So death is what it is. Like when it's over, it's over. If I go on or my spirit goes on, like, yeah, I've felt spirit kind of like I've, I've felt people after they were gone. So like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. So I don't pretend to know or uh, profess about it. So I talk about all of it. Like if I, if somebody dies and it really depends on the situation and the circumstances around it, um, about how, how you talk about it and how in depth you get about it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't really think that it's taboo in my life. Um, 
maybe it is. Maybe I talk to people about it and they're like, whoa, what are you, what are you doing? But I'm really, really kind of cut and dried about it and straightforward about everything. I think it's, it's just part of who I am. So uh, yeah, I don't see the issue with talking about it. I think for some people it's impersonal and sterile because they don't know how to deal with it. And it's easiest to deal with it when, you know, you're at an arm's length, but I guess I, I, when I think about it, I don't think of a lot of people dealing with it that way. I think, if anything, I think death has become more dramatic. I think that it's a very dramatic thing now. And I don't know if that's because we have movies and books that make this big thing, you know, that we have to, you know, it's like a dramatic thing. And I also think, like, we've monetized death. You know, it's turned into a business. And so that's a whole other way to think about it that makes it very, very complicated. So, I mean, your approach to it, I suppose, is just where you are in life. But yeah, I mean, like Brian, we talk about it all the time at our house. It's it's not taboo. It's just there's probably a lot of reasons for that at our house. But yeah, just depends where you are. Are we going to go down the rabbit hole, the funeral home system? <laughs> I, I, okay. So I want to preface this before I say anything else that I have uh, at least three friends who work in the funeral industry. And I think I'm kind of hoping that we have somebody here tonight. It looks like that we might. So I don't want to step on any toes because obviously the funeral industry sprung up because of a need, right? It's a chicken and an egg thing. Did we want to make it more sterile because the funeral business was here? Or did the funeral business show up because we want to make it more sterile, distant and official, right? So I, I don't know. Uh, all I can say is when I die, I told Becky, throw me in a cardboard box and burn me. You know, that's really what I want because I don't want to burden them with $10,000 worth of unnecessary debt, right? So burn me and then throw me off in the water because it is what it is. And as far as what happens afterwards, that's, you know what, that's a, man, that's that. Anyway, that is something because if you'd asked me when I was 20, I'd have told you, oh yeah, I know where I'm going. And now the hardest part, about changing your beliefs as you get older and losing a belief it honestly i guess i would be in you know as close to an atheist at this point in my life as i've ever been and that is probably and i've talked to a lot of people who have gone from faith to atheism and that is the hardest thing to wrap your head around you know it, it if anything it lights a fire under your ass and motivates you to get a lot of shit done in your lifetime because I don't know, you know, as far as I'm concerned, probably when I die, my body decomposes and energy transfers into the ground because energy never disappears, right? So in that sense, sure, but I don't have a fucking clue what happens afterwards. And that, you know, does that give you a little pause of concern? Sure. And then, you know, everyone else is like, oh, see, you should just stay a believer because no, you can't do that. That's like saying, you know, all of a sudden I woke up and realized that the sky was blue and they're like, just go back to believe in the sky is black. It's fine or red or green or whatever. Right. I, it, you, you can't have one and the other. And that that's where we're at. And doesn't make it easy. Doesn't make it. I don't even know how to put it, but it just that honestly is the biggest part of um, letting faith go was not knowing or maybe knowing, I guess, knowing what I think happens afterwards kind of sucks. But it is what what did they I don't know if it's the some people say it's the Vikings, some people say it was Banksy, whoever, but they said, you know, you die once when you leave, when you breathe your last breath, and you die the second time when the last person who knows you passed away. So leave a memory, right? But yeah. 
Hey, Tim, yes. I got a blue pill. If you take it, you'll go back to sleep and forget all this happened. If I got a red pill, if you take it, we'll see how far the rabbit hole goes. I, it's true, right? And I don't want to, because like, I know in our communities, you know, there's a lot of people of faith and that's cool. And I, my entire extended family is very much evangelical Christian and that's okay. And, you know, if you, like I said, if you'd have thought, you know, even at 22, you know, I, I might've figured I knew exactly what I know. And now I, I know what I know now. So yeah, it, you can't, that's the problem is once you, once you know something, you can't unknow it. And just because it comes with shitty circumstances doesn't mean, well, just believe you'll be all right. Can't and the more, the more you learn, the more questions you ask. Absolutely. It's, right. It's, it's unreal. And it just spirals from there. Yeah. And, and I definitely, <laughs> it consumes me on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want this to be a, a bash religion. I don't want it to be a bash, uh, the funeral home industry. I just want it to be a, a conversation because it's something that I have to learn to accept and live with as well every day. And I don't think about it every day, but when I do, it's like, huh, okay. I have I have no problem with religion. I have no problem with anybody who believes in religion. You mm -hmm. got to believe in something. Um, it's just a matter of what it is. I mean, I could have a religion where I uh, worship this cheat box of sweet tarts. Um, and I mean, what what makes a god a god, really? Um, when you think about it. So, in my college years, I went to so I went to a school and I had a lot of Jewish friends. I had a lot of Catholic friends. I had a lot of uh, I had some Hindu and some Sikh friends. I went to all these different places of worship with them and saw all these different churches and all these different cer ceremonies and places of worship. And one thing stuck out to me was they're all the same. So who's right, who's wrong. And if I can just live by a moral code of my own, why do I have to follow anybody else's rules? So that's, that's what I learned. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I know. I was about that, but that was like you brought that up, and it's like it's not against any religion. It's just kind of what what kind of flows with what you accumulate over the years and what you see. I think, um, but yeah, whatever floats your boat, man. Like that's my deal. You do you, I do me, and and we're all happy. So as long as you and don't like, screw with me. The only thing I know for sure is I don't have a sweet fucking clue what happens afterwards. Right. So I never will until it happens and then I won't know because it'll it, have happened. Yeah. And I won't be able to come back and tell you. And nobody else has. Right. So there we are. Ah. Bingo. And if anybody says they know, they're full of shit. Sorry. And I don't mean right. that in a bad way because, you yeah, can... I mean, nobody, nobody's come back. I mean, yes, maybe, maybe tarot card or uh, uh, Ouija boards and, and all that stuff. Um, maybe somebody has communicated with the dead. I don't know. How can you prove it? But yeah, uh, nobody's really come back and explained the whole system to me um, and let me know what was going on. So still waiting for that. If that happens, maybe I'll change my mind. So cool. You know, my, you ever know? Sorry, my nanny, sorry, it's okay. My nanny in Ireland, she always told my dad that, and my aunts, that when she died, if she could come back, she would come back and tap him on the shoulder. So when she died, both of my aunts and my dad were sitting there. They're like, we're going to see if we're going to tap on the shoulder. My dad to this day swears that he felt the tap on the shoulder. My other two aunts are like, I didn't feel anything. I don't think she came back. We don't know where she is. We, we know she's gone, but we don't know where she is. But my dad maintains it. He said, that tells me that Nani gave me her foresight for when somebody dies. And I looked at him like, what do you mean your foresight when somebody dies? 
because then we got in this whole conversation and he said that in his family on his mother's side there's always one person each generation who knows when the family members die and i looked at him and i was like well you're passing it on to me right <laughs> and he said well why why would you want that and i said well because grandpa came to me the night that he died in the hospital he he was outside my room in the hallway calling me saying goodbye and he looked at me and said, I remember you waking up in the middle of the night asking for grandpa. And then he put two and two together. He's like, oh my God. I'm like, okay, there's that one. When Nani died, I heard her voice saying goodbye, Letty, waking up in the middle of the night. And he's just like, okay, that's two. I'm like, Uncle Junie, same thing. Grandma sick. Griffin, I woke up before you, you guys. Sick. Yes, I got sick. Said hey. I woke up before you even got the call. <laughs> so I'm like, is there something? I don't know. I'll just throw it in there right quick because I had I had Dave Jones on the other night and we were talking about radiation and things like that. And he said one time he actually saw a guy fall down and thought they were having a nerve gas attack. But it was just a spray cleaner and he had it in his head 100 percent, even though they knew ahead of time that it was. Uh, an exercise and that there was no nerve agent there, they still had to take the guy to the hospital because he exhibited all of the signs of nerve agent poisoning simply because psychosomatic, right? So uh, I didn't want to go down this route. I'm sorry, guys, but it, I just, I could not, you brought it up. So there's so many rabbit holes with this, like the whole funeral home one, uh, the whole other conversation I would love to have on a different day. <laughs> so you, you brought up something um, kind of knowing when people are going to die. Uh, I know it's it's your show and you're the host. I, I just want to <laughs> ask the question because it's always intrigued me what people answer. But if you had an opportunity to know when you were going to die, the moment you were going to die, would you want to know so you nope. could do whatever you wanted? Um, nope. I I it's 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 so intriguing and it's something that I've thought about thought about many times. So 100% Irish here, firmly a believer in the banshee coming to wail and weep and moan and let you know when someone in your family is going to die. But do I want to know the like the moment that I'm going to die or the moment that my husband or god forbid little man are going to die? Nope. I I don't mind like that notice right before but don't want to know ahead of time. So I, I don't know, like I, I go back and forth, like it, I, it really depends if it's going to be soon or not, I guess. Um, but, uh, like, uh, yeah, there's, it goes both ways. The knife cuts both ways. Uh, there's such good, good reasons to know. And there's such bad reasons to know. Um, yeah, I think I fall right now as like, I actually would like to know. I'm somewhere in between and I just wanted to bring this part. I just got thinking, talking about, you know, voluntarism too, right? Works the same way because once you realize there can be a way outside of government, it's pretty friggin' hard to ever go back and think in government again, right? Or to, to believe in the, the power and presence of it. But yeah, I don't know. I, I go back and forth too. I don't know if I'd want to know. Sometimes I think I do, but I mean, we all know we're going to, but would it give us, a bigger sense of urgency to what we do in life or would it make us change the way we do it? 
I don't know. And I'm not sure. Should you live every day like you would die tomorrow? And then, you just doesn't matter. Then, it, then it doesn't matter if you know or not, because you're living your fullest life every day and you're saying the things that need to be said. So do you really wouldn't need to know if you're going to live, live your fullest life? Because I, you wouldn't I waste any time. Think, sorry. No, I, no. I, I think I do now. I really do. Like even, even from, you know, say sitting on the coach, vegging out, watching a movie to me, that's my concept of a fullest life, you know? And I, I, even as a kid, I never once ever went to bed without telling mom and dad I love them, you know, I always, always. And I do it with the kids now and I do it with my mom or yeah, I did it with mom and dad then, the kids now, Becky now, you know, we never, ever go to bed without saying it, probably say it 20 times a day. And it might sound funny, but even as a little kid, it was always just because I might never get another chance to say it, right? My dad always says, I love you and I'll talk to you again later, God willing. You just never know when it's going to be the last time. Yeah, I don't think I would want to know because I think I would obsess over it. I think if I knew this is the day, like I would just obsess over that. And I think it would keep me from doing things I should do because I would just be like, oh, my gosh, I only have five days left. Like I, I might fall into the the pattern of what's the point, you know, like I've only got five days left or I might go do crazy things because I've only got five days. You know, like I don't. I, I think I would obsess over it and it would, it would be not helpful. There's a, a movie from 15, 20 years ago called, I think it's a 25th hour and it's got um, Ed Norton in it. And it's the time after he's been convicted, but before he goes to jail and the whole, the movie is just full of dread because it's like, you can always feel that clock ticking constantly. And so the whole, and, and he almost gets paralyzed with not doing anything. Like he's going around trying to say goodbye to people. Cause he's, go I can't remember, but he's going away for a long time. And it just, I don't know, it like, it, it sucks the joy out of what he's doing. Right. Because he's just kind of existing and he's like, I got to go say goodbye. It would be like your whole friggin' life's awake at that point. Right. So yeah, it, it, that's what reminded me of. Well, and it's kind of like when you get the terminal diagnosis. So my, my husband's cousin was diagnosed with stage four glioblastoma last year. He wasn't given very long to live. He's still with us, but it's one of those things that when the diagnosis hit, his mother and his aunts all just like lost their shit because they were like, he's going to die. He's got a death sentence. He could die. Any, he could die today. He could die tomorrow. We don't know when it's going to be. And it's just been all consuming in their minds. So we saw them, he was diagnosed in early June. We saw them the 4th of July and oh my God, these women, they could not control themselves around him. Like they would look at him and they'd have to run out of the room because they were crying. And it was one of those things. And I talked to my husband when we left and I said, he looks really, really good. I'm like, he's not using a cane. His speech isn't slurred. You can tell that his right side is a little weak because of where the, the tumors are at in his brain. But we're like, I'm like, whatever treatment they started him on is it's doing a good job. And then we didn't see him until Thanksgiving. And at Thanksgiving, he had been on the steroids. He had been on chemo and radiation and he was all swollen. And again, we saw it like they were all just freaking out. And his my mother-in-law pulled us aside. You're not going to like it when you see him. He's gotten very yellow. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, yellow, usually sign of liver failure. Okay, so this is a stage that we're at right now. 
But again, it was one of those things where he was so uncomfortable being around his mother and his aunts and their cousin because they looked at him as a living corpse as opposed to somebody. So go ahead. I'll be right there. Go get ready. So it was one of those things that how do you deal with it when there's someone that you love who is, who is dying? How, how do you make it so that you're not obsessed in making them uncomfortable? You guys have any answers for that? I'll, I'll go. Or is that a, yeah? So the the Cook family on my my dad's side, he comes from nine. Well, him plus eight other brothers and sisters. Everything in that family, we've always dealt with things through humor. It's always jokes, right? And when you know the the six oldest cousin boys, when dad's died, dad's father died, my grandfather, you know, we were carrying him in the casket and we were pretending to drop him, you know, like, and we were laughing and we're, because that's exactly what he would have done. I mean, he lived till he was, I don't know, he's in his early eighties. He was a world war II veteran and everything was a joke with him in a good way. Right. Like, I mean, he was a serious man. He worked hard his whole life, but he's the same guy that would like pull on his wife's dress and dance through the living room just because he was an idiot, you know, and he'd wear pantyhose and like put them on his head and that's what we always chose to remember. And it was just, you know, be foolish about it and and be funny and just remember how they were. That That's what's always, that's what worked for us. Go ahead, Brian. Um, I mean, so she was talking about kind of dealing with knowing someone's going to die or a terminal, oh, a terminal yes, diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I just kind of we're all doing a die, man. We all got a terminal diagnosis. I think Michael said it in the, in the, um, comments there. We all have a death sentence. Um, so why should I treat, why should I treat, um, anybody different? Like I could die tomorrow. Like I leave every day. I drive for a living. I drive around to gas stations all over the state of Minnesota. I'm on the road. Like I got my van last February and it just hit 50,000 miles. So I drove 50,000 miles last year on the roads in Minnesota. And have you seen the drivers? Like literally I take my life into my hands every day. So I don't count on coming home. Like I want to, and that's the plan, but like, I don't know. So when I leave in the morning, that might be the last time I see my wife. So I just make sure that I um, express everything I want to her before I go. So if I'm going to deal with someone that has a terminal illness and they have a date, they're going to die. Well, I mean, good man, you know, <laughs> so I don't <laughs> let's, let's just talk. Let's hang out. Like we normally do. Let's live, help you live your fullest life until you're done. If you're sick and you can't do a lot, man, what can I do for you? Can we like hang out, play video games? Can I grab you a pizza, whatever to just be normal? Like let the guy be normal. <laughs> Yeah, exactly what Brian says. Like, what do you need? If if you've got a terminal diagnosis and you're, you know, whatever you've got a month, you've got six months, you've got a year, what do you need? Like that let's, let's live until you die, you know, and that should be what we're all doing, whether you've got your official terminal diagnosis or you don't know if you're, you know, going to walk out of your house tomorrow and get, a tree's going to fall on you, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. So when I was in college, this is it. She didn't have a terminal illness. She didn't have a terminal diagnosis. She did really. Uh, when I was in college, 
um, I met a girl. Uh, it was never really a romantic thing. It was just a friend thing. But she was she was a heroin addict. Um, and she was open about it. And she talked to me and confided in me. And we just talked. And we were friends. I met her. I was a bartender. She was a customer. And we just started talking. And we um, she really confided in me because I listened to her. But it was my job to listen to her at that point. Um, and she told me that her family had just kind of shunned her. Um, that she didn't want to quit heroin. She had been to Sarah or she had been to rehab like five times and she's never going to stop. She just wants to do it. And so I became her friend. Like I knew she was going to die. Like it's, it was obvious that she was going to die. She was going to do heroin until she died. That was the point of the whole thing. She didn't want to live anymore, but I didn't try to talk her out of it. I didn't try to comfort her about it. I just was there for her. Like we hung out, we did shit, whatever. And I found her when she died. And it was okay. Cause I knew that's where she wanted to be. Um, and I knew that's where she needed to end up and it was never going to change because she tried to change and she didn't want to, but I kind of dealing with her would be the same way I would deal with somebody with a terminal illness is just help them, like be there for them. They know what they need. So. And I think the hardest part about that for, for so many people is that it's, they make it about them and I can't lose you. I don't want to lose you. And how am I going to live if I bury my son or my nephew or my mother or whoever, you know? Um, Nate had a great quote there that we just popped up from Zero Hedge. And it's the, on a long enough timeline, the survival rate for everyone drops to zero. And he said that stuck with him. And that's the first thing I ever noticed about the Zero Hedge website was that line. I'm like, hey, like, that's a really good, like, life motto. <laughs> but, um, you know... <laughs> When you when you have that terminal illness or that date, you're like, oh, you get six to eight months to live. That's usually when most people start preparing themselves and their family for ultimate demises. But for my family, we prepare for, we've always known what everybody's death plans. I have a Google sheet that I've shared with our family and everyone actually has a, a page on there to put all their information in and all that stuff. But, um, have you, do you guys have preparations? Like, do you know if you want to be buried, cremated, where it's going to be, if you want a memorial or, Hey, just buy around at the bar on me or anything like that. And have you discussed it with the people that need to know? We chatted about it. We probably, you know, we, we talk, we joke about it a little bit. It's still, a topic you hate to talk about, even though you do. Uh, we have life insurance, which to me, I guess that's the ultimate death prep. If you can have it is to make sure your family will have money if you die. And other than that, like um, all kidding aside, I've, I've told her before, you know, if I ever end, if I ever end up in a home and I'm in like, you know, like I had a, I had a, I think this, I heard somebody say the other day, it was an elderly lady. It was a really cool quote. And she said, you know what? There are things worse than death. And I thought, man, that, that's actually kind of cool because the idea was that, you know, I, I had an old operator. He was 52. He ran the, um, the oil rig that I worked on or the, sorry, the, um, co-rod rig. And he had a massive stroke and he ended up spending about six years in a wheelchair wearing a football helmet or hockey helmet because he couldn't do anything completely locked in. I always told Becky, I said, push me off a wharf or shoot me in the head if that ever happens to me. I have no interest in being that way. And I mean it. Like, I literally do. And also, other than that, again, cardboard box and cremation, whatever's the cheapest. 
And not because we couldn't afford a funeral, because I don't want to spend the money on a funeral. <laughs> you know, use it for something else. Go go take a trip or find yourself another husband or something. But yeah, no, she she wouldn't do that to me, but whatever. Oh, I got everybody laughing. Nobody wants to talk. Good, Brian. Yeah, I got, I mean, so yeah, I've communicated to Corey. She's communicated to me. Um, burn me up, man. Like put me wherever. It don't matter. Like dust to dust. So um, if she, I, if something happened to her, I, she's, she feels the same about her. Um, I would probably keep some a little bit um, and the rest, I'd probably take to some places that she thought were nice. And so she can kind of be there. And uh yeah, as far as funeral, whatever. I don't give a shit. I'm not going. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, do what you want. Like, it's not for me. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it doesn't really. I'm. Uh, I think Ken and I talked to the, about this on uh, my interview with him this weekend. It was kind of a purpose to life. Uh, I want to kind of just leave it out there now. So, I'm recording content. I'm talking about the shit I've done for the last eight years. Um, I'll probably get into stuff I've done through my whole life. I'll probably just lay it all out there in content creation and then it's there. So, um, do I need a funeral? No, man. Just go check out my fucking Odyssey channel. Like, yeah, that was me. So rock and roll. Did you guys see Ken's comment? He says, stick me in the ground and plant a tree on top of me. That's awesome. There, That's there are places, um, natural burial grounds and there are now conservancy burial grounds, which is actually where we're going to go where the it's a burial ground everything has to be natural so you're wrapped in a shroud or just like um a woven reed box or a very plain box put in the ground no embalming they will bury cremated remains but they have to be in the um a cardboard box no plastic and you're buried with the trees and they want to keep it as natural as possible so i mean ken look for something like that <laughs> that's really what you want to do that also started a big part with the family too <laughs> what do you mean you're not going to a cemetery? It was like it's mix me in with the cat litter. It'll save dollars, <laughs> you know. What was it? The the big Lebowski just put me in a put me in a coffee in a coffee can, take me out, throw me in the ocean. So the, the, this quote here with the the funeral isn't about you; it's about closure. It that's true. Um, a lot of people do need closure, and I know my husband asked me. He's like, so. Your family funerals, like you don't have people like throwing themselves at the caskets and weeping and wailing. And I looked at him like, nope, that that's not my thing. And he kind of looked at me because that's what he's experienced in his family. So I was like, okay, well, that's them. They're like, they're trying to find their closure. I said, and you have to remember, everyone grieves differently. Stop it right now. Get in there and watch your show. Oh my god! I'm so sorry. I thought I muted that. Yeah. Uh, hey. Uh, I mean, if you need to deal with that, I can speak no, he's to good. Nate's comment over there with his ashes going into. Uh, I saw going that. Into shot shells. That's um, awesome. Yeah. I I got a bunch of buddies that did that with their their hunting dogs. So like, uh, they spend all this time with their hunting dogs for years in the blind, eight, ten years, and they got to put the dog down so they get it cremated and loaded into duck loads and then hunt with them the next season and they get to hunt one last time with their, their best friends. So yeah, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a cool thing. Like if you, I mean, I don't know if they do human remains, that gets kind of sketchy when, um, 
with uh, federal regulations and uh, polluting water lands. But so, if, if you are reloading in you your basement, um, yeah. oh, for sure. Like, to say that all. it's all what needs I to mean, go in there, like, that this powder I, I, is this powder. Selling, I'd be selling them only for um, trusted and not not for use in the, the act of hunting or killing <laughs> someone. So. <laughs> Or something. Sorry, not killing anyone. I don't want to kill anyone. Show. Uh, Ken has a good one, too. Uh, he wants his wife to tie him up and sink him in the lake. So in 50 years, when they find the body, they have a big murder mystery. I love it. That's awesome. I know uh, my man always says that he wants a Viking funeral and throw it, put him on the barge and float him out and burn him in. I had to, unfortunately, show him that that doesn't work. It doesn't actually cremate you. It doesn't get hot enough. If you don't believe me, there's an awesome YouTube channel out there called, um, oh my God, I can't think of her name. Some, some some mortician. There's this mortician channel, and she talks about, like, one of one of her episodes talked about the Viking funeral and why it doesn't actually work. So, I love it, but the Viking funerals do love the the murder mystery though. I think it was Hunter S. Thompson. He had his ashes put into fireworks and Johnny Depp blew them off for him. I always thought yep. that that's, that's classic Hunter S Thompson style right there. Who was it? Tim Timothy Leary got shot into space. Shot his, ashes, shot his ashes into space. Dude, that, that dude's a trip. Like read, like literally a trip, read his books. Nice. Yeah. But, and now I got to tell you guys, like this conversation we're having right here about the, the fun ways that we want to be remembered when we die. I can't have this conversation with most people outside of my family because everybody else gets so uptight. I mean, we had a, a death on my husband's side of the family two weeks ago and his mother had stopped by and told us, and then she took little man out for lunch. So while he was gone, I mean, I sit down, I'm like, Hey babe, we're getting your death plans done today. And he's like, all right, I love this. So we got it all done and we told her and she thought we were crazy. I'm just going to, I, I had this thought just while she was talking there as well. Um, I was thinking, you know, we haven't really talked a whole lot about solutions. And then I'm like, you know what? Just the fact that we're talking about this is a solution. And I was like, oh, this is fucking crazy. This is awesome. Because I'm like a while back. I know when Letty and I first started talking about this, I remember mentioning like we don't talk about death a whole hell of a lot as a, in the preparedness field. You know, we talk about being prepared for everything else. But just the fact that we're having this open conversation where death is the topic, I think we're succeeding. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Because when you're preparing, you prepare to live. You prepare to survive whatever's thrown at you, whatever natural event or economic hardship hits you. You don't, you don't prepare to die. I mean... Like I said, as of right now, we got our plans. We started a fight with my parents because, like I said, we're not going to the cemetery. We're going to the Conservancy burial area, and it's beautiful. It looks over the Mississippi and oh, gorgeous. But they're all like, but you're not going to be in consecrated ground. And I was like, I want to be wrapped in a shroud and put under a tree the next day. Like, I don't want this whole keep me out a week, keep me out a couple days. Like in Ireland, you're buried four days after you die. That's how it is. I think that's great. You know, they, they wait at home if they can and all that stuff, but I don't want the whole, whole rigmarole, but 
when we told them our plans, they, they weren't happy, but again, it was, but you guys have plans. And now we know if something were to happen, what they are. And because I have a Google doc, it's shared with everyone in my family. Who <laughs> they, cares what they think though? Yeah. I told them. I'm, like, I'm, really, I'm, like, no, I mean, it's, it's none of their business. Yeah. Really? Just they, they, their concern is, well, where are we going to visit you? And I'm like, Oh, I'll have a marker. Don't worry. You can go to the marker and visit, but we can't leave flowers. I'm like, nope. It's like, I don't, I'm allergic to most flowers. So don't leave me flowers anyway. But uh, it, it's one of those things that I was like, this is where we're going to be as of right now. Things can change and we'll change our, our decision, but Just I don't know. You're going to outlive them anyway. So then you don't <laughs> have to worry about visiting you. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but uh, it, I, I think that the death preparation is something to, and the other side of things is if shit goes really crazy, what do you do with bodies? If, because people are like, where do I put a body? What what do we do if shit goes crazy and we don't have the systems we have now? Burn it. Yes, burn it. I think burn that's them. probably, you know, that's a really interesting topic. <laughs> but it, uh, I think what would be the, uh, I really, when we're talking about a survival situation, it would be what's the least amount of energy and what's the least amount of calories you need to spend to do away with as many bodies as possible, right? And either you haul them out of town and put them in a great big dump and just leave them there or you light them on fire and burn them. I don't, I always don't burn them or bury them. That's, I mean, look through, look out through history where, wherever there were mass casualties and mass, mass burials. And the other thing they did was cremation. So, I mean, that's, that's what you do in a survival situation for sure. If, or a mass casualty situation where everything breaks down. Yeah. You gotta get rid of it. Like all it's going to do is rot and cause disease if you don't. So uh, Martinson I mean, family has a suggestion. I mean, it worked for that. Oh, never mind. Leave that joke. Away. <laughs> I know where you're going with that, Tim. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's something people don't think about. So go ahead, Amy. Well, and I think it's one of those things, like you were talking about, you know, the prepper community, and we don't talk about this, about preparing for death. But the weird thing is, is that so many preppers are also homesteaders and death is a thing on a homestead. Like that is just a thing that happens. So when you're talking about what do you do if people start dying, what do you do with those bodies? Well, what do you do when a cow all of a sudden dies? And it died. You don't know why it died, so you're not going to eat it. Like, what do you do? You know, you ha haul it Same out thing. in the field and leave it for coyote bait. What? But you can't, you know, always do that. With there's not enough coyotes to do the mass casualties. There's a nice coyote right. to do the the deer guts or the deer carcass or the CWD deer. Um, yeah, no, don't. I would never. I would never take a CWD deer out and uh, leave it for a coyote because that would spread that disease. Um, yeah. Middle of winter, what do you do? <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's all, it's a sanitary issue. That's, that's what it comes down to. It's, it's cut and dried. I know it's your family. I know it's your loved ones, but like in a situation like that, it's all about not spreading disease. So just get it done. Yeah, that's, um, I, we were talking about that a while ago, about survival caches, six months of the year maybe more like eight months of the year, a survival cache doesn't mean shit in Alberta. You can't dig the ground if you wanted to. And it's the same with burying a body up here. I mean, at least six months of the year, there's no way a human without mechanical aid is ever going. I mean, there's a reason why they keep them in the morgue until the spring. It's just not going to happen. So I think you're, well, first off, you know, minus 40, you don't have to worry about a whole lot of diseases spreading anyway. And, you know, you're worried about survival at that point. But yeah, burn them or bury them, I guess. And I always, it's always in the, 
when you watch those post-apocalyptic shows, the the ones that get burned tend to be the ones that people don't care about. You know, it's I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but they're either the bad guys or a body they found somewhere. And the people that get buried are it's like a, a symbol to them. You know, they're willing to put in the work to put them below the ground. And because I honestly, I, I don't know if any of you guys have ever dug a grave before. I haven't, but I knew a guy who used to, and it was an all day affair. There was two guys and it was all day to dig by hand because you couldn't get any machinery in there. And I know, of course, that's what, six feet deep or whatever, but usually in the movies, it's a foot or two, but still like that would be a lot of work and you're already hungry and malnourished and lacking calories yeah i i uh <clears throat> i got these big dogs i deal with like uh so i had um i had german shepherds that were both uh over 100 pounds now i got these big saint bernards and uh you know i always buried my pets when i was a kid and i mean that's what you did like you took your cat or your dog or whatever and you dug a hole and you buried it when we moved up here actually before we moved up here we had a, a cat that died like literally during the sale of the house and everything um we asked her parents if we could freeze it in their freezer and then we wanted to bury it on the farm with us because we we're gonna start a little pet cemetery because you know we're gonna be here forever which yeah that didn't turn out real good but um anyway so we bury the cat out there i do that i dig the hole i'm like jesus christ that's a lot of work just for this cat it was fat i mean it was a fat cat it was like 28 pounds it was like literally fat um but anyway so then i'm looking i come back to the house and i got this weird look on my face i'm looking at the dog and i'm like holy shit, that dog's like over 100 pounds. How the hell am I going to dig that hole? I'll be crying the whole time. Be like digging this hole for like three days, crying, crying. I'm like, I couldn't imagine doing like a full-grown human. Like we ended up cremating the dogs and like doing stuff with their ashes. But yeah, like, holy shit, like a guy my size? I'm like, how do you bury that guy? That's a lot of work. Holy crap. I mean, like you're, you're tall. Man. I'm six foot five, 250 pounds. Like, so you're doing six foot five. You got, I mean, you got to, you got to angle in. So you got to start like eight feet wide by like three feet wide and go six feet deep. That's a big ass hole. Hey, Brian, you got a tractor. I, I just read the whole 10 book uh, going home series and they use the tractor. I was just Throw me to the pigs, man. Throw me to Tim, the pigs. best series ever. Thank you so much. But yeah, they, they use the tractor to dig those graves or whatever they whatever they could find that had a scoop or a bucket he's that to dig the grave because it makes it so much easier Man, like yeah so yeah digging that digging that hole for that dog i yeah that was no that was a, like called off at that point i'm like nope no more pet cemetery <laughs> screw that we uh we cremated all of our dogs so my my parents have three rottweiler uh boxes of ashes and I'm always like, so what, what exactly are we going to do with these? <laughs> and my dad sa says, oh, well, uh, we're going to mix them with my ashes when I get when I die. And we're, they're going to be buried with me. I'm like, we, we just had this conversation. Yeah. We're moving into the camper. We got the, we got the German Shepherd ashes. And we're like, what are we going to do with them? Like, I'm not taking them with me. They're like way a lot of, they're not light. <laughs> and like, I'm doing a weight limit and a size limit. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do with these? Well, here, here's a funny thing. So uh, if you've been holding on to those ashes for a couple of years, they probably all clump together and are harder than a rock and you're not going to be able to spread them or anything. So you might need to get a chisel or a cheese grater or something if you want to spread them or else just find a nice tree and plop that mass of ashes under it 
Because I, I don't know how my dad thinks he's going to be able to take these almost 30-year-old ashes on some of these dogs and mix them with his. <laughs> that, uh, that series, I just want to plug it, that Going Home series by A. American is probably the best 10-book post-apocalyptic uh, fiction story. But that's what the whole mindset in it was anytime they had to bury somebody, the person, you know, the person or people that were close to them basically either hand dug the grave or used a, a tractor and it was uh therapeutic for them or um, it, it give them, you know, that, that, you know, uh, expensive energy kind of helped them burn it off a little bit, help them deal with it. And again, you know, in a shit hit the fan situation, it was like, well, okay, time to move on, you know, and it, it sucks. But I think maybe that was, I think maybe that was the normal way for a long time. It's like, okay, we buried mom. Now we got a saber tooth tiger after us. We better take off and get going. Right. It was like back to living. And I, I think that's a reasonably positive way to do it. I think too, that it, it helps you work out your grief because, you know, everyone talks about the five stages of grief and everything. And it was funny because I was recommended some books this weekend because like I said, I've always had this almost morbid curiosity and interest in death. A couple of years ago when I decided to stay home, I thought, hey, maybe I'll like go to school to be a mortician. That would be kind of fun. And then I realized it'd be like a year-long full-time thing. And I didn't want to be away from my one-year-old. So death doula maybe in the future. I don't know. That's another one that you're taking away for potentially days at a time. But when I was looking over the five stages of grief, just to refresh myself, it was one of those things that I was looking at and, okay, everybody grieves differently. So you approach each of those stages differently. And I think that if you were, if we were actually to go out there and be the ones digging these graves, I think we'd all approach our grief so much differently than we currently do. It doesn't matter how you deal with death anyway, but seeing some people who just get so overly emotional and distraught and everything, I think it would, it would make it more real for them almost, you know, if you, if you think about it, because some people just, they don't want to accept it. And I think that's why, you know, the, the denial phase, but um, I don't know. I, I, I like the idea of exerting the energy and digging some graves now. Not that I plan on anybody dying anytime soon. I mean, the five stages of grief and everything um i don't know i don't i think i got one of these like uh spectrum disorders i don't know but i just i look at things way different than people and um when when death comes around i i'm, I'm never sad i mean I, i'm not going to see the person again but the last time i saw them i hopefully had a, a decent interaction with them and i remember the times i've seen them um if now I don't I can't say what I what I would do if my spouse died. Like if Corey died, I'd be devastated, but I'd want to kind of be alone and I'd want to just think about her. And I don't know necessarily if I'd be sad because I've already come to the conclusion that you know one of us is gonna die first. One of us is gonna die. It could be tomorrow, it could be 20 years from now, it could be 40 years from now, but I don't want to ever regret anything. So we say what needs to be said every day. We don't hold anything back. We're honest with each other. Um, if we're mad, like anything, like we talked about this in the strong relationships. And I think that that with my spouse makes, if there was a tragic death, I mean, she's, I don't even know how old she is. I'm 
probably going to get in trouble for this, but uh, I mean, she's in her late thirties somewhere. Um, <laughs> what? I don't even know what year it is. So and it's not surprised. I don't know how old she is. because I'd have Brian's going to be dead tomorrow, by the way, guys. So it's been nice knowing him. <laughs> like I don't keep track. It doesn't matter. It's like 2022. Uh, yeah. It's, it's 36. Yeah. 36. Got it. Uh, she's shaking her head over here. Um, but anyway, if like she died tomorrow, I would be devastated. But I would have known that everything that needed to be said till the last time I spoke to her, it was said. So there wasn't anything I never regretted. I didn't say to her and I can move on with the memories I've had with her. And I know she would want me to move on and be happy in my life. So if she wanted me to be happy, how am I sad? Because she's gone. Like I have to honor her by doing what she wanted really. So she wants me to be happy. That's, that's her goal in life. And that's my goal in life for her is for her to be happy. So I tell her the same thing. If something happens to me, figure out how to be happy and don't dwell on the fact that I'm gone. So, I mean, that's kind of how we live. And then as far as, as, as it gets further away from your nuclear family, it gets less and less and less, um, weighing on me, um, just because there's less interaction and like Corey's my life and everything outside of it is, is, uh, uh, exponentially degrees less. So that's where I am and how I deal with it. Yeah, Nikki toes here. Uh, she liked, liked your point on how couples really die together. And it's true. You only, you don't hear people talk about that. You only hear about the Oh, this couple was married for 70 years and he died. And then she died a few hours later of like holding his hand or they died within minutes of each other. It, it doesn't happen like that. And it's something I know that my man and I have talked about, like, he's, he's like, I don't want to go on without you. I'm like, I don't want to go on without you, but one of us is going to die first. <laughs> you know, So we, we have to, we're going to have to be, the other one's going to have to be strong and, um, you know, it, I mean, it's it could be, be split seconds apart if you set it up right, but it, yeah, I mean, technically, one will be before the other one. <laughs> you got a point there, Brian. <laughs> but um, you know, like it comes down to like just different strategies for dealing with your grief and getting over death. And I know, like we've all kind of talked about about different ways that we've handled it. But how can you help somebody who's struggling with their grief? I, <clears throat> sorry, uh, I've always been, people love to talk to me or like, I don't know, whatever anyway, they, but I, it goes back to earlier, like, how do you deal with it? I always, always, always tried to make people feel normal. I, I remember a guy came, there was a guy that almost died one time. He was in prison overseas and the whole town gathered together to, to basically get him out. Anyway, it's a whole long story. And he came back and everybody was walking on eggshells around him because he had a bad experience you know and i seen him and i'm as soon as i seen him i'm like well you're as ugly as you ever were and everybody was like and he just laughed and it took it put him at ease and he was fine at you not that he was fine but at least somebody finally treated him like he was normal and another thing that i've realized about this is especially as a man you can't fix it so just sit there and listen don't ever tell anybody that you know how they feel because their grief's different than your grief. Whatever, just just listen, just sit there. And if they want to cuss you out or they want to cry for six hours, let them cry. Other than that, there's you can't fix it. It, I like my dad said. You know, I'm it, 
it's time. Time's the only thing that can at least dull it and numb it. And you just, you just sit there and some people go through it quicker than other people. And yeah, that's all you can do is listen, treat them normally, and maybe bring them a casserole. It's a hot dish. Oh yeah, you guys have that weird vocabulary. I it's don't know, a casserole. That's adopted uh, vocabulary because we called it uh, we called it casserole where I grew up, and then I moved here, and it was like hot dish. I'm like, what the fuck is a hot dish? It's a hot um, dish. It's a casserole, and it's called funeral <laughs> potatoes, guys. But yeah. Um, anyway, I I've always been like super awkward at funerals. Like I'm the guy that walks up and is like, uh. I don't know what to say because I don't want to say the same thing. The last 40 people asked you like, how are you doing? How is everything going? Like, really? Do you need, do you need me to say it too? Um, and so we were actually talking about the questions for this show. And uh, I was discussing it with Corey and I was like, so she, she went through like, was it like four funerals in a year. I was like, and it was weird. It was like, old people and young people and sudden deaths and all this. And this was when she was in her teens. Um, so she went to a lot of funerals. And so I'm like, so what do you do about funerals? Like, I don't, I don't know what to say to people. Like, I'm just like, and she goes, how are you doing other than this? Is what she asked the people in like a receiving yeah. line is how are you doing? How, how's everything other than this? Or what are you up to other than this? Like get their mind off it for a second. Like, People dwell on it and 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 just can't get away from it, and they're they're consumed by it. So maybe give them a little break for a second and just talk to them about normal shit. My mom went to a funeral one time a few years ago, and they went in, and the the guy at the door he asked how they knew him or whatever, and my mom was so nervous. She said, "I'm with the bride's family," and uh, she was so goddamn embarrassed for years and we've never ever let her forget that like but you know what everybody laughed and you know poor mom she felt a little bit bad about it but i i also i wanted to throw this other thing out there before we we're talking about you know corey dealing with it with as a teen um and maybe amy can chime in on this too but um talking to kids about death or, or letting kids deal with it because i remember like brian you're talking i i now, when somebody dies, you're an adult, you kind of know, okay, they're, they're dead, they're gone. But when I was a teenager, my dad got really sick and he almost died. And I remember it was one of the most difficult things to process. And I was a teenage guy. I didn't, you know what I mean? I blame myself, just stupid things, right? And I know that's got to be hard. And that's a tough topic is talking to your kids about death and dying too. I would say that it's... Um... There actually haven't been a lot of deaths in our family since, uh, you know, my um, there was a couple deaths when my kids were very little, you know, but there there haven't been a lot of them. I mean, especially that my kids have been close to, so they haven't dealt with that close uh, family member death. Um, but death is weird in our family. I mean, y'all know my husband's in law enforcement, and so we're listening to the radio when he's going to work, and he's running off to a suicide, he's running off to a medical, he's running off to they just found a dead body, and so just that framework in our house, that death is just such a thing. It's, I think it just makes our house very different. Um, but I, I think in dealing with death, whether you're talking to an adult or a kid and I, my kids are older now, but everybody grieves in a different way. And I think you have to figure out how you grieve. And I think maybe the first death you go through, you're like, Oh, what am I supposed to do? You know, like you're trying to figure it out and maybe 
the more you deal with it, the more you figure out what your price process is. And I think, I guess what I would want my kids to understand and anybody else is that everybody deals with it different and you have to let them deal with it and go through the process that they go through. And, and like Tim was saying before, you, you can't fix it. They, it's just time. They just have to go through it and that's okay. Corey has a routine. Like she knows how it goes. Like she's the person they call when somebody dies and she plans the funeral. Like she knows she has a notebook. Like this is what we have to do. We have to call the funeral director. We have to call this. We have to call the cemetery. We have to call the church. We have to do this. And she has the list. And then she has the list, all the people you got to call to let know that the person died. And she's the kind of like mechanical clerical work. Um, she knows how it goes and she just does it and lets everybody else that is attached to it because it's usually like so it would be her grandparents or her aunt like where there's closer siblings or uh sons or daughters that are grieving and she's that person that just deals with all that stuff and sets everything up and then she goes to the funeral makes everything's done pays the checks like they usually just give her the checkbook to write all the checks for everything and she comes home she takes a day off of work and she grieves like for two days like, and I know coming into the house, she's probably going to be crying and she thinks about the person for two days. And then after that, she's just done. Like now it's all happy thoughts. Like I've had my sadness. I've let go of this person and now it's all happy thoughts. And I'm just thinking about their life and all the stuff they accomplished or the fun times we had, or, you know, the shitty stuff we did or whatever, but she's able to, to pack it away for that four or five days in between um, where everything needs to be set up and she holds it together through the funeral. Like I've watched her do this. Um, so we've been together like 14 years. Um, I think in the time we've been together, she's done it probably a handful of times, four or five times. And I watch it. It's like clockwork. And then she comes home from the funeral and it's the next day. It's not even after the funeral. It's the next day she wakes up and grieves. Boom, boom, done. And that's just what she does. And me, I get the news and I'm like, and it just all goes inside and I process it. And Amy was talking about the homestead. You got the boys on the homestead. Like death is different on the homestead. Like it's animals. And I understand there's a difference between animals and, and humans. But when you experience death at, at all the time on a natural level, that it's life and death. It's a chicken. It's alive. And now it's dead. It's now it's in my belly even like going further than that and processing it and understanding the whole biological function of it um, really desensitizes you to the um, emotional attachment to it. And then combine that with like my first experience with death back in the funeral home when I was a teenager going through puberty, just like detaching all the emotion from it. Like I'm very internal and I'm very easily able to see the good times I've had with the person and remember all of that and enjoy their life and have a little bit of grieving. Like, yes, I'm sad, but I don't outwardly show it. So, um, yeah, that's it. Like, sorry, ran over. That's all right. Uh, it looks like Philippine Nomad is talking about, uh, how do you want to be remembered with your legacy? Write your own obituary. I actually had a teacher who, had us as a class project we all had to write our obituaries what did we want to be remembered for that was the hardest damn thing i've ever written not gonna lie it was why would you know 
Like, that's the problem. They're asking you to know what you want to do with your life in school. Well, the, and like, that was the thing. I'm like, what What do I want to do with my life? You know, because I had already had like 10 different majors by that point. So they kept switching them. I was like, I don't even know what I want to do tomorrow, let alone 20 years from now or whenever I die. I was like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Make the most of your dash. What do you want it to say? I like that, Nikki Toes. Um, I, I, I think for me, like when it comes to kids, we were never sheltered from death growing up. We, my mother was the youngest of eight. Her mother was the youngest of seven. So we had a lot of funerals <laughs> growing up. So like there were times where every weekend we'd be at a different funeral. So we learned early on, okay, death is a part of life. Um, and with little man, he went to three, three funerals in his first year. And I know I had a lot of friends who were like, why would you bring a baby to a funeral? I'm like, why not? Like life is about, it's about life and death. You know, we're celebrating the person who died. And then you ha hear my three month old in the back of the church crying. Everybody smiled and laughed at that because it's a reminder that life goes on. It's not, it's not an end all be all, you know, and growing up, we were always told when someone died and if we had questions, well, this was really sudden what happened. We'd sit down and be told about it. It wasn't scary. And it wasn't until I got to college and went to, to funerals for sorority sisters, family members that I realized a lot of people aren't exposed to it. They don't bring their kids to funerals. So I had people ask me, what do I wear? You know, what do you say? What am I supposed to do? And for me, it was just so, what, what do you mean? You don't know what to do. It's a funeral. It, wear something nice, preferably dark. Let's go. Uh, Chris is saying he never sheltered their kids from it. Uh, whether it was a pet family member or friend, they always dealt with it and discussed it. And it was left open for discussion anytime, anywhere. I, I think that's how it should be. I don't think we should be not talking to our kids about death. You know, if, you know, if you got the homestead life, you're seeing animals dying. Your kids might walk out there and find a dead chicken or whatever, you know, you never know what they're going to do. So talk to them about them. Let them know what's going on. You got to know when it's appropriate though. Like you don't want to, you don't want to take your three-year-old out and like slit a chicken's throat and go, yeah, it's just dead. <laughs> um, like I don't think that's the best idea, but uh, explain to them like biology, like literally if we could get back to biology, instead of making everything woo woo and heaven and hell and scaring the shit out of people to behave. And if you just went back to biology and we are alive and there's neurons in our brains and they're firing and there's blood pumping through our uh, blood pumping through us and that's keeping us alive and oxygen going into our lungs. And now we slit, it, slit its throat, its blood pressure drops and everything ceases to exist. The fast twitch muscle has spasms and then it's done. It's dead. Like easy to understand, easy for a kid to understand. Like if they're old enough to comprehend that, explain it to them, let them know. And then when Nana dies, say, we love Nana. She was around a lot longer than that chicken. So we got to know her a lot more. We got to have a lot of good times with her. You're going to miss being able to go to Nana's house and get cookies. And now we're going to move on and we're going to remember how good we loved hanging out at Nana's house because she's dead like the chicken. 
So, I mean, that's pretty, pretty cut and dried for a young kid. You're just not going to eat Nana when she's dead. Like, unlike a chicken that you might. So depends on <laughs> if you hit the fan or not really. And how, or if you're part of the downer family, you know, I mean, I mean Nana, Nana's been around a while. She might be kind of plump and tenderized. So <laughs> we'll see. I got to say too, like as a kid and growing up, I, I seen maybe some bad examples of how to deal with grief. Uh, a couple of different people who just, it became all consuming. One person who lost uh, a parent and another one who lost a kid. And I'm, I'm not judging at all, but I do know that both of those situations shaped how I deal with it because it completely like they, they lost a decade or more of their life afterwards simply because they couldn't move on. And they had, you know, and to me, that's tough. And I don't want to ever judge because everybody does deal with it different. But I do know that that has maybe allowed me to deal with it quicker. You know, I, the only time I cry and I mean ever is when somebody dies and it's usually, you know, soon afterwards and then that's it. And then I move on for the most. And I, like I said, probably I know it would be different if it was my significant other or a kid and I'm not judging. I've just, like I said, I've seen people who literally lost decades of good lifetime that they just were miserable and couldn't deal with it because they lost somebody. And I, I don't want to do that. Yeah, it brings me back to when my husband asked me if I, like, my family doesn't have, your family doesn't have people throwing themselves at the coffin. I was like, nope. And that tells me that, that person has a lot of grieving to do and needs a lot of support. <laughs> but um, I know I, I, we usually hang out by the coffin and tell stories about the person. So that's the best. That weird, like, that's the best. Yeah. My Talk favorite about part was always the potluck at the end. <laughs> that, 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 I, that when I was a kid and they took us, I, well, again, growing up as an evangelical, I just sit there and wait and be like, when's the food coming? I can't wait for them little <laughs> tiny egg sandwiches. That's the best part of a funeral. I worded out one of the attorneys I used to work with because another one was telling us, oh, I just went to this funeral. It was a barber and his family and all these bars. I'm like, oh my God, was it the Vaughn family? And she's like, oh yeah, you know them? I'm like, yeah, I always went to their bar over here they knew me by name and knew my regular order for food and whatnot and i and we're sitting at this meet at our meeting getting ready for our boss to walk in and i looked at her i was like was it a good funeral i'm like i'm like where were they buried where they go to lunch afterwards and the one attorney stopped, he just looks at me he's like letty did you seriously ask her if it was a good funeral and i'm like oh yeah and he's just like what he's like well we jews we don't walk around it saying was it a good shiva and I said, well, that's a difference between like the more Irish side of things. Cause it's always like, Oh, was it a good funeral? Did they have a good turnout? How was the food afterwards? But he just, he could not wrap his head around it. And my boss walked in and the rest of us are all Irish. So, you know, they're all from the South side of Chicago and they're like, Oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. Good funeral. They, they had the, they had the lunch in here. He's buried at this cemetery. And then we start talking about other funerals that we've been to that were at that cemetery or that restaurant. And, the the Jewish attorney was like, this is not something we would ever talk about <laughs> with us. So was it a good funeral, guys? I don't know. Sure. My uncle's funeral was a good one yesterday. <laughs> I also always remembered that uh, Protestant funerals were way better than Catholic funerals because Protestant funerals were like 10, 15 minutes, 20 tops, and you were gone. 
Catholic was stand up, sit down, pray, say this, say that, do this, go there. And by the end, you're like, what were we doing here? Was it a wedding or a funeral? Well, it might've been both by the time you were done, but it was, uh, I just, I, again, I just never enjoyed going to the, the pomp and ceremony of it, you know? What was that guy from Wedding Crashers? The the guy that retired from Wedding Crashing and he ended up going to the funerals to pick up chicks? What was the uh, the old HBO TV show, Six Feet Under? Yeah. I remember, I always remember in there, the, the guy, he's standing at the back and he's watching. He goes, she's going to be a runner. And he says it and the one runs up and jumps on top of the casket. That's what I was thinking when you were telling that story because some people deal with it different. And it, you know, it, it's the same with... I forget where I was talking the other day, but um, military people have a very dark sense of humor, I assume, because they've dealt with a lot of dark stuff. And I can only imagine what funeral home people do to get by as well, like the, the jokes and things. And I'm, I'm totally in favor of it because I think humor is a way that a lot of people cope. But yeah, it would. And I think a good sense of humor helps us deal with death in general. So uh, I, I just remember the name of that YouTube channel. It's called Ask a Mortician by with Caitlin Doty. And she actually wrote a couple books. One of them is, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? But, you know, she she talks about, she does historical deaths. She talks about, like, she she did a lot during COVID with how do they take care of the bodies and stuff. But she she does it respectfully, straightforwardly, and she also injects humor into it. And I was sitting there and I was thinking, that's definitely a field where you have to have the sense of humor because you can't, you're because you're dealing with these grieving families and friends all day and seeing the dead bodies and they're coming in all different ages, all different stages of decomposition. You never know how they died and you can't just be morose all the time. There's no way. All right. Check this, this out. I mean, this is a death discussion, but this is kind of a humorous story. I mean, we're trying to lighten up death and, and be, and, I've kind of said my piece about how much it means to me and all that. But um, so when I was working at a funeral home when I was a kid, there was a intern that was a mortician in mortician school. He was interning at the funeral home and uh, body came in. It was car accident, had had gone into rigor sitting in the, the car seat. And so the paramedics came, they put him on the gurney, strapped him down, brought him to the funeral home. They put him on the table and he comes in. And he is starting to prep the body for the autopsy and, or the embalming. And he turns around, he does the paperwork, he turns back around and the body sat up on the, the table, like literally from rigor. It went and it sat up on the table and he ran out the back door, got in his car, left, never came back. So, I mean, there's funny shit that happens in funeral homes. So that's, that's yeah, if, if I wasn't expecting that, I'd probably be like, Okay, who fucked with me? Like, who's had the body up? Like, what's going on here? Someone's in this room with me. And then I just be like, oh, yeah, wow. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, I know my uncle passed away on Ash Wednesday. And my mother texted me. She's like, yeah, we're hoping he makes it up to heaven. I was like, oh, St. Peter at the gates will give him some shit. It's like, but it's Nani who's going to be giving him an ass chewing for the next, like, three days until he's buried over what he did to her house and how he ruined his life. And everything so i mean my family we we go to the humor about death right away because we find we, we find the joy in the the life of the people but uh we're coming up on an hour and a half so uh i don't want to take up everybody's time too much longer 
this is a great chat, you guys. Like I've said before, I love I love having talks about death with people, and everybody always has an interesting perspective on it, you know. So, first of all, thank you guys for volunteering to talk with me about this today. Um, I know some people when I tell them, "Oh yeah, I'm leading a conversation on death tonight," they're like, "You're what?" And I say, like, "Oh, it's going to be good. Trust me, like." This group is going to be good <laughs> talking about it. But um, I guess the one last question that I have to close out. What do you think is the most important takeaway for anybody when it comes to preparing themselves and their families for death? I'll, I'll start for me. You know what's coming and make sure you've got your specific plan and know what your spouse's plan is. My plan was to uh, to always pass away like my grandfather did, uh, asleep, but not like the passengers in the bus behind him screaming to death. You know, it's absolutely awful. But no, just have a plan, have a good sense of humor, be practical about it, be prepared, and and be open and honest about it. Just talk, right? That's all you can do. I guess for me, I would say. Um... Use the fact that uh, one minute you're alive and the next minute you're not. Use that as a cue for how to live your life. I mean, I got sniped all the way around. Like, uh, yeah, live your life, man. Live your life like uh, you're not going to wake up tomorrow. Uh, I got laughed at. I get laughed at quite a bit because I people ask me how I'm doing. And I'll say, well, I woke up this morning and I was breathing. Um, that's not a joke because as long as I wake up this morning, wake up in the morning and I'm breathing, I'm going to try to make the most of that day. I'm going to try to do as much as I can to just make my life what I want it to be. And if it ends halfway through or doesn't make it to the next morning, then that's what it is. Um, and yeah, like Tim said, uh, let your wishes be known because there's nothing worse than people fighting over shit that they don't need to fight over when they're trying to grieve your death. Um, just make it clear. Let them know what happened, what's going on. Um, and pre-death too, like Tim was saying, if you're in a in a wheelchair and all that, make it be known what you want. We, we've seen all the battles over and over and over about, well, they'd want this or they'd want that. Yeah, man, just let it know. Like, I don't want to live like that. that. Is that really living? So I might as well be dead. So yeah, live it like it, live it like it could be gone later today. And uh, let everybody know what you want done when you're gone. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a you go around one more time. Um, before we leave, let everybody know where we can find you, and uh, then we'll call it a night, guys. Well, hopefully not at the funeral home anytime soon. <laughs> but uh, sorry, <laughs> I'll stop now. Um, <laughs> see, I even laugh at my own jokes. That's a bad sign. Jesus. Anyway, uh, toolmantim.co, uh, Thursday night, Sunday night, seven o'clock mountain time, live stream preparedness, art of home maintenance when help isn't around the corner. And then Sunday evenings, I have an interview usually with somebody in the preparedness field, Liberty field, something like that. So drop by and say hello. I am Amy at a farmish kind of life.com. I do podcast episodes twice a week. Tuesday is just me talking about something. Thursday is an interview with someone fabulous in the community. I have a monthly snail mail newsletter that you can subscribe to if you'd like to. And 
I think I'm going to start uh, doing live stream conversations on Friday mornings at 8 a.m. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Brian's very excited. He's like, yes, I got her to do it. Nice. I'm Brian, uh, The Lots Project, uh, thelotsproject.com. I do a daily podcast Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. for 20 to 30 minutes and usually a 60 to 90 minute interview on Saturday mornings, uh, normally at 11 a.m. Central. But this week I have a special interview coming up with uh, Mike, who was in the float chat earlier, uh, the Filipino nomad. Uh, he's going to come on and we're going to do it at 9 a.m. because of the time difference. And I think I might shift it to 9 a.m. anyway because it's coffee with Brian. And who the fuck drinks coffee at 11 in the morning? So, um, yeah, thelotsproject.com. You can find all my links, everything. I'm on Facebook still and Instagram still. I'm looking at that dumpster fire TikTok that uh, Amy told me about. And, oh, my God, like 90% of it can go in the trash, but uh, yeah, you can find me everywhere. Uh, float mostly. So check out float. All right. And I'm Letty from Liberty all day. You can find me at libertyallday.home.blog. I have a podcast that comes out on Mondays and on Wednesdays, I come up with a little bit of Irish history and sing either a rebel or a folk song. So there was no podcast yesterday due to the funeral, but tomorrow there will be a song. I have to decide on that tonight. I've got two of them figuring it out from, so again, thanks everybody who joined us in the live stream tonight. You guys were crazy busy with the conversation. It was awesome to see and all the participation. And um, we hope you join us next week when the topic is going to be social media options. So we're going to take it away from the more morose topic of death and have something a little bit more fun. And maybe Brian will be on there talking about some of the TikTok dumpster fires he's been seeing. So thank you guys. And we'll see you next week. Take care.